so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where four women get together and talk about all the garbage in the world and occasionally the non-garbage. Occasionally. But mostly the garbage. <laughs> Um, I am Karen Peterson, and joined by today, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. Kristen has been punished by the Punisher, so she's not joining us today. She's, she's going full Burnthal. <laughs> she is going full Burnthal again. She's probably out slutting it up with Burnthal somewhere. I don't know. So she's... you've been waiting to do that, haven't you? You've been waiting. I to just sure like I am going to say finally. <laughs> Turnabout's fair play. <laughs> so anyway, so she's not here with us this week, but that's okay because we've got plenty of anger to, you know, so much go around. Oh, well, let's start with some like sort of good news in the garbage field. Because occasionally we get gar- good garbage news. <laughs> this week, R. Kelly was dropped by Sony. Finally. It only took them like 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like this documentary thing came along and people went, oh, wait. People finally woke up. <laughs> He's garbage. <laughs> yeah, no shit. We've been saying that for years. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So this is good news. Things are happening. He's now under investigation, finally. Um, he's been dropped by his label. His, like, publicist and lawyer recently had dropped him, too. So, oh, it's not looking good for our Kelly, which is very good news for everybody else. So, and yeah. he's, Thoughts, he's having He's having panic attacks, also. There was some report that, like, Aww. after the documentary came out, he was having a panic attack. And it was like, oh, poor baby. Yeah, Lots I was just going to say, poor baby. <laughs> poor, poor baby. So, I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I take a delight in knowing that, that some of these men are actually suffering and, you know, mentally, emotionally, all of that sort of thing. So, I, I like that. <laughs> some of this. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You, you guys got it coming, man. You know? Uh, so, that's good news. Woohoo! Yay! All right. Everyone. Now, let's talk about some things that are not good news um let's start with the disney bit just because well kristen really probably wants to talk about that one because she had a lot of feelings but um disney has announced the next film in there we're gonna reboot everything as a live action movie they are doing the hunchback of notre dame no no. this that needs to not happen there's that no it's happening. 
I don't know why it's happening, but it's happening. Because they're doing all of their films. That's why it's happening. They're just going to do every single one, no matter no matter what, no matter how beloved, no matter how unloved. They're just going to keep on doing it because they, I, I guess that they think they're going to make money, which they probably are. Yeah. Well, I, for one, cannot wait for the live-action version of Aristocats. <laughs> Training all those cats to sing is going to be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, I just, all of I just company. Wanna, yeah, yeah, I really want to see live, like actual cats in Aristocats. That's that live action amazing. Oliver and Company. That yep. that's where. Oh man, it's like going back to the old like Milo and Otis and the Incredible Journey movies or something like that. It's just going to be a bad scene. Uh huh. Yeah. I want those dogs actually talking. None of this computer <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Right? peanut butter in their mouths <laughs> hey they did it for babe they did that with like 400 animals and that got a nomination for best picture so. mr red that was an actual horse damn it <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly but yeah hunchback of notre dame i just do, do people remember that that's a really dark story and like, just the fact that Disney took it on anyway was always disturbing to me. It's a, it's a bit weird. It's a weird, like, of all of the stories to adapt into a animated musical comedy, that's one of the weirder ones. Because I, I think people are forgetting, like, everyone's like, oh, they're going to do a live action of Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's like, guys, that, that, that like, story has been adapted as live action numerous times. Uh-huh. Like, and very well, actually, in, you know, mm-hmm. in the olden days. But, yeah, I guess that they're going to well, sing you know, and that dance. Was before, and... That was before 1970, so it doesn't count. <laughs> oh, yes. Forgot. <laughs> I always forget <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Charles Lawton who? Lon Chaney who? Exactly. <laughs> so we'll see who they're going to cast. They announced the writer for it, didn't they? I didn't like write that on here so i don't remember you know i i barely took notice of this one i was i'm it might have been because i was just aging out of kind of the disney animated films by that point i hated that one i pocahontas was the last one i kind of remember going okay this is fine and i remember just hating Hunchback of Notre Dame, even just from a kid perspective, leaving out any of the problematic issues to it. So this... It just really is. It's a weird story to adapt into this kind of flashy, attractive little cartoon, more more so than probably anything else they'd done before that. But um, there there is a rumor that Josh Gad, who is a co-producer on... I just saw that. ...on this film, is going to be playing... um, Quasimodo. Quasimodo. Josh, just run away. Don't do it, man. Don't Don't do do it, man. It has. Don't sign for the dump truck of money. Just don't sign. It has such bad optics right now. Like, it just is not. It doesn't seem like this is a good idea. Although, have have they announced that they're going to do a Pocahontas yet? Because that will be interesting. (laughs) Terrence Malick did it. It was called The New Worlds. Well, yes, the Pocahontas story, <laughs> yes, obviously. But there was no singing and dancing. There was that no painting true. with I the mean, colors of the wind. And the... If if they approach it like a Mulan, they 
because it sounds like they're actually thinking about Mulan and thinking about the optics a bit. Yeah, that's yeah, you know why? Because so, there's a woman directing it. Yeah, touche. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> so if they approach it like that, Pocahontas could work. And but other than that, it's oh no 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 no. Yeah. So we'll see. It is being written by David Henry Wang, who is a Tony-winning playwright. So um, I don't know why that's supposed to make it better. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And then Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz are doing the music. Of course they are. So I mean, are they just going to repeat the... I don't know. I honestly don't know anything about The Hunchback of Notre Dame at the the film. Are they just going to repeat the same songs? Like, are they just going to basically redo the animated film? If it's... Well, if it's been like the other ones, then yeah, they'll redo the animated film just in live action, but then add one or two new songs. That's because that's exactly so what Beauty that... and the Beast did. Yeah, yeah. So I, but I for one couldn't tell you a song that came from. You know, I can remember songs from the other ones. I cannot remember any songs from Hunchback. Um. Yeah. I don't. I was trying to think. There's that that one gypsy song, but I can't even remember how it goes now. So, one of my friends really. Likes I remember the Hercules number. better than that. That's saying something. One of your friends likes the opening number, Lord. Yeah, one of my friends really likes the opening number. Like she kept on making me listen to it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just I. I think that maybe all of us on this on this podcast are a little bit too old for that. that we were just yeah. Past we it, were probably. like you were saying, Kim. That we were we're not really. We weren't the target demographic when that film finally came out. And it is kind of, even then, it is often considered to be one of the lesser Disney animated films. So so maybe See, maybe that'll work Chris, if it's not as beloved. Kristen was, what, two years? I know she's about two years behind me, so I'd be interested to hear her talk about it. Yeah, I know she was definitely pissed. But yeah, because Hunchback came out in 96. Toy Story came out in 95. So Hunchback was like the end of the old Disney animation style. Actually, I think Hercules came out after that too. But um but yeah, it was like on the 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 downward side of that because then Pixar was coming in with these, you know, bigger, splashier, really amazing looking films and really good films. So so yeah, so Hunchback and and Hercules and Atlantis and some of those are definitely lower tier just because people were not as interested the stories weren't as good and uh they were stretching they were they were were. yeah it felt like they were out of ideas and they were clinging to you know something as pixar was taking hold of the market and it just wasn't working so but you know warm warm and fuzzy victor hugo story about about religious uh fanaticism and (laughs) And martyrdom and persecution and... and... (laughs) I, for one, would watch Disney's take on Les Miserables. Now picture that. Oh, my God. Uh, But I am Javert would, like, really just... I I feel like Disney would do a great job with that, quite honestly. I know, right? (laughs) Sexy Javert. Oh, yeah. We already had that, okay? Russell Crowe. Like... You know what? I agree with you. <laughs> that man, he was oh. so into that part. Like, I was just like, That's... you 
you go, Russell Crowe. You are having, you're just really dedicated to this role. It was really charming how into it he was. Like, as much as he wasn't singing very well, I'm being generous. Um, like, just how much heart and passion he put into it. It's like, how can you hate this? Come on. He's performing for the rafters. Come on. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> uh. He would definitely have been that contestant on American Idol that is told, no, you're not going on to the next round. And he would keep singing. <laughs> and you got to admire that. You just have to. You do. You, know? you truly do. I, yeah. I have come to admire Russell Crowe a lot more since then. So. Yep. <laughs> so, okay. So in other movie reboot news. Um, oh, nothing else happened at all this week. People are not making stupid decisions. Everything's great. Let's yep. move on. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. I refuse to acknowledge the existence of any Ghostbusters sequel that is not to the 2016 Paul Feig masterpiece. <laughs> yes. <sighs> all right. It's going to be a long two years. It's already it's a, long be a long month. It's going to be a long fucking two it's years. A long couple of days. Yeah, yeah. that's true, too. <laughs> yeah, so basically what happened is... For 25 years, Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd were trying to get a third Ghostbusters movie made. And they went through a lot of different ideas. They had a couple of different scripts. Bill Murray usually was just like, no, I'm not doing this again. We already had a good run and everybody hated Ghostbusters too. He only thinks that because he didn't talk to me. I actually love Ghostbusters too. I love Ghostbusters too also. Yes. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. I love that movie. But anyway, so... Um, yeah, so they never could get this made. And then Harold Ramis passed away, and it just kind of dropped. And then Paul Feig came along and made an amazing movie. And it was fantastic, and we love it, and because it's great. And a bunch of fanboys were like, girls, Ghostbusters, they're ruining my childhood. <laughs> and... um <laughs> Which is exactly like that's exactly how that it is. It is exactly <laughs> what they all sounded like. All of yep. them, every single one. So then Jason Reitman went. Oh, I know. You know what? I totally want to see the drunk history reenactment of what I'm saying right now. But um, <laughs> Jason Reitman went. I'm gonna finally finish what my dad couldn't do for 25 years because all these whiny fanboys are proving that they want it. So. That's what's happening. And apparently no one else has said they'd sign on for it yet. But he's going to make this third Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Most of the comments that I'm seeing, I've yet to see anybody who's, aside from Jason Reitman, he seems to be the only person (laughs) excited about this. Isn't it weird? Even the fanboys in the comments are like... Do we do, do we really need this? We is this really needed? <laughs> yeah, it's like they it, it it made me realize a lot of them. It's not that they wanted more Ghostbusters; they just didn't want girls to do it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. so they don't. I mean, we're taking over Doctor Who. We're taking over Ghostbusters. We're Star take, Wars. They're, 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 it all they're irrelevant. That's it all belongs. Our yeah. Brody fingers are t- touching like, their, you know, ruining their childhood. Girly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah um um yes i have many feelings about this when this was initially like reported whatever that was a couple days ago i actually opted to ignore it 
uh, I was just like, I hate this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm not, I don't want to think about it. Um, my, my roommate offered to give me a hug and I was like, leave me alone. <laughs> and he was like, well, are you okay? I was like, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Like, I'm fine. Fine. Everything's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think that we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, I think all most of us, if not all of us, really love the original or the um, the the reboot that Paul Feig did. It, it's it was unfairly lambasted, but even if you know what, even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't a great film, even if we didn't like it, the Ghostbusters this this whole concept of Ghostbusters three or Ghostbusters as a franchise is very tired. Um. Ghostbusters 2 was sort of critically panned. A lot of people really didn't like it. It got, it was treated as like, oh, this was just a cash grab. You know, then we had a, um, a cartoon show that went on for quite a long time and is, it was very enjoyable. It was a big part of my childhood. That was actually the first time that I watched Ghostbusters. Um, and then there was kind of nothing. I mean, there were some video games. There was, there was a little bit of a fandom, but it's not much of a franchise when you really come down to it. One of the exciting things about the Paul Feig film was that it was different. It was like, we're going to take some of the fun stuff that we all liked about the original. We're going to get rid of the sexism, which they did, which is really nice. And we're going to play around in the same universe and with the same ideas, but do it differently and do it with women and do it with a toxic fanboy being the villain, which I love. Um, (laughs) I, I just don't know what Reitman can contribute to to making this different and i know that there's been talk like that this is going to be about teenagers becoming ghostbusters and there's gonna be like two boys and two girls um but yeah and i i have not heard yet because the big the big get is always will bill murray agree to do this um harold ramus has passed away so they're gonna have to deal with the fact that egon is dead or gone, or not present. My favorite part of the original. Well, and I, I think someone pointed this out on on Twitter, and it might have been one of you guys. That uh, one of the reasons why Paul Feig opted not to do like it in the original universe is because they would have to address the fact that Egon wasn't there, and yeah. so you've either got to write him out in some way, or you've got to be like, so by the way, he died, uh, and that's kind of a downer in the middle of what's basically a PG thirteen comedy. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know how they're going to do this. And if, if Bill Murray comes around and it's just like, Bill Murray, who actually appeared in the Paul Feig film, and if he comes back around and is like, well, I'd really rather not, like, what are they going to do? Are they just going to do like, it, it's basically going to be a bunch of kids playing Ghostbusters, which we've already sort of seen in Stranger Things. So I... I, I just there's no point to this and it, it does feel like giving into all of the worst parts of uh toxic fandom it feels like a complete and utter cash grab i mean going down to the use i mean ivan or jason Reitman. Yeah. i can't i've i've been sitting here trying to figure out how his voice as a filmmaker would contribute to something like this and I mean, he's made some good films. He's made some good films that I've enjoyed. But it seems like the only reason he's even on this is because his name is Reitman. Oh, yeah, that is the only reason. And it's, I this feels like a complete and utter cash grab. And I, for one, yeah, it's, I'm, I will say I'm a fan of the original Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with the, you know, the 2016, but I can't speak to it nearly as well as the rest of you can. And I will freely admit that. But I... I liked the 1980s version. I grew up on that one. 
And I'm not excited for this film in the slightest. I think the reason that I'm most unexcited, well, there's two reasons. One is it completely feels like, oh, all you fanboys were mad. Okay, we're going to let you give us more of your money. We're just going to make this movie that you basically have said you want. So it's letting the fanboys win. And the reason that that's a problem is because you've got so much toxicity in fandom, like, I'm particularly Star Wars. Look at that. You know, you have mm-hmm. change.org petitions trying to get Last Jedi decanonized. Like, oh my gosh. You know, and if we start building this culture where the fanboys get mad about something and then we give in to them, then this is just never going to end. And we're never going to progress the culture forward and teach boys not to be stupid sexist morons because that's exactly where all of this is coming from. They didn't want to see a bunch of girls ruining their childhoods. And I'm really tired of that. The other thing is this really feel like that statement in the article, I think it was in Variety where where it was first published, um, where he's where Reitman is saying like, Oh, I really admire what Paul Feig and those amazing actresses did but we're going to do this now. And it just feels like he's basically just saying like, yeah, yeah, that was cute. Y'all had your fun, but I'm going to go do this other boys. one and Let fix it. Let the boys it. do this. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's incredibly, just... it's incredibly reductive and a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, people says like, oh, so we're going to cordon off the 2016 Ghostbusters. It's like, this is this gross little girl thing that the girls did. And, and, but we're going to go on with the canonical Ghostbusters, which Right. First of all, again, the canonical Ghostbusters is exactly two films, one of which is hated within the Ghostbusters fandom. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So really, it's one film. It's one film. Right. And and it's like so even the real Ghostbusters doesn't fit into the quote you know canon of Ghostbusters. So it, it's such a slight thing, and it, and yeah, it does you know. Um, the 2016 Ghostbusters was accused of being a cash grab, of being like, oh, we're pandering to to women, I guess. We're pandering to... <laughs> yeah, because um, that's a thing that happens. We're pandering to women who, according to many of the fanboys, don't actually like Ghostbusters to begin with, but we're still pandering to them because of reasons. Um, we don't want to direct either. I mean, yeah. hey. <laughs> uh, and, and now, you know, the same thing is coming up, just like, oh, goody, you know, we're actually going to play around in the original universe. And it's like, it's just, what? What? This doesn't make, it doesn't make sense, and, and it is exhausting. And it looks so much like pandering, because you're like, oh, we hired a Reitman, who is also a director. It's just like, oh, great, great, because that's exactly the same thing. It is exactly the same thing as, like, Ivan Reitman directing a, a sequel to, to his franchise. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's fucking exhausting. And you know what? And I do have to say this. I don't give a shit if you like or don't like the 2016 Ghostbusters. It exists. It's something you cannot erase. And please do not come onto my Twitter feed explaining to me that this is it's okay for you to like it, but I don't. I was just like, I don't care. I really don't care what you feel about the 2016 Ghostbusters. Just saying that. Yeah, I'm, I don't oh. understand that that line of thinking of like constantly people having to come and say like well i don't like this movie that you love okay thanks that's great (laughs) good for you you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) would you like a cookie because i'm out (laughs) kim were you gonna say ultimately we need to 
Hollywood functions purely, you know, this functions, that town functions purely with money. They think with their pocketbooks, they think with their wallets. And this is them once again, trying to reach out and trying to grab that. They're trying to grab that fanboy demographic money. And they're not going to change until people start getting out and get supporting those other films. You know, we, a wrinkle in time to me is another example of something where we could have had something really great, but we're not going to see that because it didn't make money. They are so scared to take a chance. And this is showing the complete regression of that because they're bringing somebody in with the same last name to try and hope, you know, what they're thinking is erase the 2016 and just try and make as much money as possible. And it's sad and it's pathetic and it is showing the complete death of creativity because this just continues to show the reliance on sequels, the reliance on reboots and independent cinema suffering because people don't in that city do not want to take a chance on new and original ideas because people continue to come out and give, you know, a billion dollars to tired, old, hackneyed ideas. Well, I, I absolutely agree with you, Kim. And I, one of the things that I liked about the 2016 Ghostbusters was that it was taking the formula of the original and doing something different with it. So it was it was expanding. It was saying like, you know, we're, okay, we have this thing that every that a lot of people love, and we're going to play with that. We're going to do some. We're going to go off in a slightly different direction. We're going to, you know, rework some of the images that you all love so much, and we're going to do something different. And so, it it created this completely other thing that was loads of fun. And it's what you know. I love the original Ghostbusters. I love Ghostbusters too. I love the 2016 Ghostbusters as a result. So I'm like, they're not trying to remake it. They're trying to do something different with it. And that's that's the way to give life to that kind of a franchise. We're talking about big budget films. Um, to actually play around with it and do something, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the same but different. Uh, one of the other things I just wanted to mention, because this got me when, uh, when the initial, the whole round of like, oh, we're going to do a female Ghostbusters came out. A lot of one of the things that I saw a lot of fanboys pushing back against was not just that it was women, but that it was a particular type of woman. And by that, I mean, it wasn't, you know, because there was some talk about like Aubrey Plaza or Lindsay Lohan, Um, Mm -hmm. people like that, actresses like that taking on the ghost. They weren't hot. Exactly. They were not hot. They were not like fuckable. In fact, I remember even like a number of men of my acquaintance began to like latched on to Kate McKinnon because they were like, oh, Kate McKinnon is hot. And it's just like, yeah, but guys, she's queer and she's queer in the film. So even the hot chick was inaccessible to them in some way. And there was a lot of pushback against that. So there wasn't just this, it, it really was basically saying like, we're going to cast women not for their you know perceived hotness but for their comedic abilities and for the fact that they're very similar to the original ghostbusters look at those guys sometime these are not like these are not chris hemsworth this is not chris evans this is not chris pine you know uh bill murray and dan Aykroyd and harold ramus are not hot particularly uh and I, for one, had a big Egon face. <laughs> oh, I had a huge crush on course. Egon. I had a huge crush on Egon. But they're not, like, and, uh, and I think that each of the women in the Ghostbusters are are quite hot, but they're not, like, quintessentially, stereotypically sexy. Mm-hmm. 
and they're not the women I, guys I are hanging pictures of, of on their wall. Exactly. Well, and it shows the difference because men in Hollywood can do that. You can idolize and you can hold up the not hot men as idols. But as soon as a woman comes along, who's not, you know, a traditional idealized version of fuckability, she doesn't count. She doesn't matter. And it's, this is marketed towards men and it's tragic. It's makes me sad. It was kind of like, how dare you not pander to the male gaze? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And that's essentially what they were mad about. And that's why Paul Feig is an honorary dame and we love him. And yep. Uh, I also just wanted to say, I think it's kind of funny, this whole cash grab thing, considering that um, Jason Reitman has directed exactly one movie that grossed over a hundred million dollars. So (laughs) (laughs) his, it, that, that doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't... I. This is another example of a mediocre white guy well, getting I mean, a film because good, of... Well, his movies are good, but this does not... It's once again another example of a filmmaker whose abilities don't translate to what he's going to do. True. He's getting this role because he, he's getting this film because he's a rightman, not because he's... He's not a comedic director. Uh-uh. I'm, not like hardcore or, comedy. He's a character no, yeah. director. I like Thank You for Smoking is one of my favorite movies and I will hold that one up. But that what Jason Reitman does is not Ghostbusters. Yeah. That's the tone is completely different. Yeah. I agree. Um well and the strength in his good movies is generally in the script, which he usually doesn't write, so I don't know. We'll see. Um so we're gonna transition from ranting about Ghostbusters, even though we are not stopping being mad about it um but <laughs> lauren what would you like to talk about for and another thing <laughs> yes our segment and another thing uh okay so i this is partially personal but also just sort of a rant about the treatment of film criticism in general so over the past week, because lots of shit just went down on Twitter for whatever reason, I'm not entirely certain why. Um, I'm not going to give the name of the person who tweeted this because I know that he's kind of wanted to silence the conversation and not wanted to talk about it anymore. But a, uh, a guy that I follow, a critic, um, commented about the new Spider-Man trailer. And what he said was, revealing that Spider-Man's alive before we've seen Endgame is raising a generation to believe stakes and consequences do not exist nor matter. Marvel is nurturing apathy towards major events because we think everything will work out naturally without any effort on our part. And this is one of the actually big criticisms that has been levied at, uh, at Infinity War because the way that Infinity War presents is that there's all of this stuff that is, that is very important and is like earth shattering, but that can be undone really by a snap of the fingers. And that's one of the issues that I had with Infinity War, um, that a, a number of people had with Infinity War. So this is not unusual. This is not an unusual criticism. And so what he's basically saying is the fact that we have this new Spider-Man trailer and the fact that we are noting that, you know, Spider-Man is not dead. Uh, Spider-Man has not been banished. In fact, he seems he's going on a European vacation. (laughs) Uh, Does sort of, uh, it feels like it reinforces this thing that, you know, the world is simply going to continue and that this does actually have real world uh, implications. 
I agreed with this. I completely understand why some people don't agree with it. But one of the things that began happening on Twitter was that both Marvel fans and, and this is more disturbing to me, film critics began coming out basically saying that this was a non-opinion, that this wasn't even a real argument, <clears throat> that it was ridiculous, that, you know, it's just a movie. What are you getting so excited about? And it, uh, there was a lot of vitriol that got going very quickly about what's basically not, you know, a groundbreaking statement, but, you know, one that can definitely be talked about. How does cinema apply to the way that we relate to, um, the, the way that we relate to real world events? You know, are we, is, is cinema in some way preparing us to not believe in real world uh, implications that when something happens, it can somehow be undone? Uh, that's a, that's a conversation. That is a conversation that we need to have. That is a conversation that's important to have. Cinema does have an impact on our culture. It reflects our culture and it has an impact on it. I recently, you know, I wrote about this documentary. I recently watched a documentary that was talking about the way that the Nazis used cinema as propaganda. And it wasn't propaganda as in like, you know, triumph of the will or anything like that. It was propaganda as in we're going to show musicals and comedies and dramas, but it was reinforcing a particular ideology. So one of the reasons why we have to investigate cinema that is for, for lack of a better term, just entertainment is because it actually does have meaning about the culture. And having film critics and people that are supposed to know about film and the people that are even supposed to love film basically saying, like, this is a non-opinion. We're not even going to discuss it. We're not even going to treat it as anything, as a serious conversation. Whether or not I agree is incredibly damaging to film culture. It's incredibly damaging to our current culture. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it's continuing to, to um, put us into this position where we're, we feel like... Uh, any film that we watch, any film that we experience is just entertainment. It doesn't have any external meaning. And it does. It always has external meaning. And we have to talk about that meaning. No matter whether we agree with each other or disagree, we have to talk about it. All right. That's all I had to say. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> Anyone else have any opinions on this? I don't know. No, I, I saw that same thread going down. And I am actually very glad you mentioned that. I had tremendous respect for what that critic was trying to say and i know i followed him that night as a result because i well i for one was truly disgusted by the level of commentary he was getting back and he was really getting some appalling comments made about him from supposedly serious film critics and it that was disgusting. Um, I completely agreed with everything he said. Um, I mean, I was more kind of looking at along the lines. I found, I thought it was a really bad move for them to release that Spider-Man trailer kind of when they did. And it's my level of thinking on it was, I was like, that's emotionally manipulative. Cause I mean, I, for one knew that they're all coming, you know, you know, they're yeah. all coming back, but you know, I know a lot of people are very emotionally invested in that last bit. So whether or not people followed the industry or know, you know, Spider-Man's got another movie coming out or Black Panther or whatever, it's playing with the emotions. It's emotionally manipulative. And it's like, well, so we know, you know, it's it's a hard subject to get into. But Lauren, you summed that up incredibly well. I don't think I can necessarily add, but I just wanted to thank you for bringing up that subject because I thought that was a discussion that needed to be had. And it shows the toxicity, one, one more point, it shows the toxicity in fan culture 
coming back completely because it's just it amazes me how quickly especially when dealing with the marvels the dcs hell the doctor who's how quickly people start dropping the rhetoric to a new low and it was we need to be better people in fan culture people in geek culture they need to be better than that yeah it it, what was it was very shocking to me the like you said the amount of of just vitriol that was getting spilled that it wasn't even it wasn't even disagreement it wasn't a conversation it was just untethered name calling yeah, it was just untethered anger about a critique that again whether or not you agree with it is a totally fair one and is definitely the beginning of a conversation and just for uh, for film critics, for people that make their, you know, that have their online presence as we're going to talk about film, we're going to talk seriously about film, to place the Marvel films in some other category that is in some level untouchable is very disturbing. And, and it, it does have, have real world implications. Well, because these are the movies that people are going to go. These are the movies that everybody's going to see. These are the popular films. Yeah. We have, you know, there's art house films out there, sure, but these are the ones where people drop everything to go out and go see, and they make a billion, one point five billion easily. Yeah. yeah, and and we and we talk about the need for diversity in in films like Black Panther, and we talk about how wonderful it is that Black Panther is doing this, and then it's it's as though when we have, you know, the, the films that are not featuring primarily a uh, cast of color or primarily cast of women, et cetera, when we're just talking about, you know, the really big tentpole films, suddenly it, it's like, we cannot talk about them at the, at the same level. We can't talk about the fact that this has cultural implications. Right. Yeah. Well, one of my friends, so this is a different movie, but I saw a trailer. I was at a movie with, with a group of friends one day and they showed a trailer for that kid that king arthur movie that's coming out and um i pointed out to her i was just like why did they have to cast a white kid to play this part this would have been a great opportunity to play with gender or race or whatever or both you know and and introduce kids to this idea that non-white boys can be heroes too of these stories and my friend said well but these this is exactly how the characters are described in the books like all this casting this is this is exactly how it's described in the books and I'm like okay I understand that but I'm really tired of this idea that we can't change the way a character looks based on how they're written when movies constantly change major aspects of a story when they're translating from a book to the screen. Yeah. So it's like, I can totally change the plot. I just can't change the way a character is described. You know, and we see that all the time. And when this is especially true, like, translating these comics to the big screen, well, Peter Parker has to be a white kid because, you know, and whoever's next. I, I don't even know who else is coming after Captain Marvel is introduced. But all these characters, like, they don't have to be exactly as they were written in these stories. And When you had an outcry in... The, the problem is, once again, getting back to the toxicity of that particular community. Yeah. There... Because there is a... I don't don't know the character that well. My, Miles Morales is Spider Man, who is the there main character when, in Into the Spider Verse. 
Exactly. Yeah. There was an outcry when he came out. I believe one of the more recent Captain Marvels is Muslim, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And there was there was a huge outcry when that happened. So, but at the same time, Hollywood also there you see so many things changed in book to the screen adaptations, but they're just they're trying to keep these fanboys happy. They're trying to keep the fans happy. What I'm really and it comes down to again, they're too scared to make a change. They're too scared to lose money. What I'm really tired of is every time someone tries to do something that is inclusive of other cultures, other races, different genders, anything it is, if you express the slightest bit of praise for that decision, you get labeled, oh, you're just a social justice warrior, and you just... Okay. No <laughs> like, oh, how terrible of me to want the movies on, you know, on the screen to look like the world I live in. Oh my gosh, you know, like I'm just an awful person because of it. Like, that's that's the yeah. thing. That's why we talk so much about diversity. Now, that's why we talk about the, you know, change. You know, that's why we talk about films like Black Panther. That's why we talk about films like Ghostbusters 2016. That this is this is important, and it and it means something to see yourself. Uh, represented on screen and to see people and to see people other than yourself represented on screen to look up on the screen and be like oh look there are people that aren't like me and I can still identify with them and relate to them and love them even though they're not me specifically and that's important and that's been talked about a lot Um, yeah and and we can't ignore that we can't and to bring this back to your original point Lauren um you know the the films that we watch that really is a representation of our culture and where we're at as a society and and i mean look at how often movies you know replicate real life or real life is just like i mean i've been in situations where i'm like oh my gosh i swear i saw a movie where this exact thing happened you know and and i just i think that that films really do the people who make them have a responsibility to to think about at least the the audience that's consuming their product and and in the case of something like spider-man where they've already shown us and i'm i'm still trying to hold out hope that this is part of a larger plan but the marketing on far from home has been really weird in light of and, well, and, and some of the plans that they've announced for after Endgame comes out. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right in what you were saying earlier that there are a lot of kids who are just going to grow up in a world where they think, oh, nothing has consequences. And that starts with the movies and the entertainment that we see. And people need to be more mindful of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in terms of the actual in-world, whatever is going on in-world, I... You know, I, I think that there is going to be some kind of an explanation. There is going to be some kind of a connection. It's just the the optics of it. It's the way that things are being marketed. It's the choices yeah. that Marvel specifically has made, the choices that Sony has made, um, but also just the way that we respond to them. So even if it's something that's done because, like, well, we, we need this particular kind of marketing, it's like, okay, but even your marketing choices also affect the way that we perceive things because, I you know, I, I've got to say this, 10 years down the line, we're not going to remember whether or not this was a marketing choice. What we're going to remember is what is on right. the screen. 
and and how that looks yeah. to us, right? That is the conversation that we're going to have. And these films are going to be talked about 10, 20, 30 years down the line because they become very important films. Um, and we need to we need to take that into consideration. And as critics, we need to think about what this says and what this shows. We have to, you know, no matter what we actually wind up feeling about it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just go ahead and say what we, what I've said a lot in private, and that is that most film critics today are not critics. They're film influencers. And they don't think those things through because that's not critical thinking. Yeah. Which a lot of them don't do. They would have an appreciation for (laughs) film history if they did. Well, film history, you know, the cultural relevance of all of it from the beginning. And they would understand that women directed movies before 1976 when, you know, Lena Vartmuller came along. And Film critic is such a broad term now. People with blogs with two followers are suddenly film critics. And this is our this is what problems it's causing this this is what scares me though and i I keep on harping on this documentary but i really do encourage people to go see it to go see hitler's hollywood because even though it's about a particular time in germany it is really says a lot about the way that apparently innocuous films films that look to us like oh they're they look just like anything else you know they're musicals they're comedies you know really do promote an ideology and all film does that at some level and we have to look at it critically we have to otherwise it can get to be incredibly dangerous yes yep absolutely okay so let's move on to some <laughs> trailers speak of movies. speaking of um <laughs> there were a few this week um let's start with Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. What did y'all? Th- First of all, what do y'all think of Nancy Drew in general? I think you and I were talking about this beforehand. Like, I I liked Nancy Drew when I was when I was a kid. My mom had um had all of the all of the like hardback book, the yellow. It was they had yellow covers with like hand drawn images and stuff like that. I enjoyed uh-huh. Nancy Drew. I read that. I read the Hardy Boys. I read the Bobsy Twins. Stuff like that. Um. But yeah, I, this looks fun. It looks cute. I like the the lead. Uh, it's nice to see her getting to lead her own film. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm, I yeah. I hate to say it. I always found Nancy Drew really boring. I was a Hardy Boys reader. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> pro, same, pro, Kim, same. Project, I don't maybe projecting. I grew up in a lot of 1980s films, so maybe I was, you know, just reading as a boy back then. But I always never quite got into Nancy Drew. I read Hardy Boys. I watched the Hardy Boys Disney serial, you know, when I could find it on Disney at 2 a.m. This It looked cute. I mean, I my kind of gut reaction watching it i was like oh you're taking all the vintage nostalgia feel out of nancy drew i was like oh i don't know if i like that but it looked cute it i it's not made for me clearly i like lauren i absolutely loved that girl in it i thought she was great and it's good to see her getting the lead um i hope they do exactly what they need to do and make her fun and give girls of that age a good lead a good example of a lead a strong solid character because it's exactly what we need if it'll be if it's done right yeah um 
I, I'm like you, Kim. I was a big fan of the Hardy Boys and not as much Nancy Drew. Although, as I was telling Lauren before we started recording, I loved Nancy's mm-hmm. friends. Best they were, yeah. George. I would like, agree with that. They were so much fun. So, yeah. I do like the fact that this has a female director. Yeah. So, writer, that's good. Um, and writer, yep. Uh huh. So, that gives me some hope. And, yeah, I, I agree. I like Sophia Lillis. She's a great actress. And I'm excited to see her. Um, you know, headlining a film as as the lead, so that'll be cool. So yeah, I mean, I'll check it out. Why not? I just I like the girl idea power. of you know, kind of a plucky group of teenage girls going off and solving mysteries. There's something just very nice and warm about exactly. That. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I I mean, I was obsessed with Veronica Mars, and same people would so ask me, same. oh, so is it like Nancy Drew? I'm like, yeah, but with like biting sarcasm and wit (laughs) (laughs) so I would love to see a little bit of that infused into Nancy Drew and not just like you know the dimples that kind of we'll see what happens Um, and then there was another trailer for Fast Color which I didn't notice was on the agenda so I didn't watch it I did not do my homework, you guys. I it, it popped on real late. I got the chance to watch it right before we recorded. So it is, what, Gugu Mabothera, mm-hmm. correct? And uh-huh. it appears to be, because I knew nothing about this film until whoever put it on the agenda put it on the agenda. I think it was Kristen. Uh, yeah. Um, she... Three generations of a family, and she looks, they, they look to have superpowers, and Gugu Mabothra is the, she looks to be the female lead, she looks to kind of be the mother of, and there's a daughter and kind of her mother, and I am, give me editing point here while I, I can pull the up the IMDb. You beat me well, the plot that? summary says a woman is yeah a woman is forced to go on the run when her superhuman abilities are discovered years after having abandoned her family the only place she has left to hide is home yeah it seems it seems like a kind of I saw several people online talking about this is this is what glass should be um, is that that real world superhero kind of idea uh, and how people deal you know how how quote real people would deal with discovering that they have superpowers or facing um people with superpowers and stuff like that it it looks really interesting i mean just the fact that this is a woman of color and that this is about her dealing with her having these great powers like it it kind of some of the images actually reminded me of of some of the images that um the sci-fi writer octavia butler often conjures and and I liked that. I thought I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Like, I would be interested to see where this goes. Yeah, well, it's co-directed. I mean, it's directed by Julia Hart, who co-wrote it with Jordan Horowitz, who is her husband, and who like produced La La Land and stuff. So it's got David sounds, Strathairn sounds in it, and I love him. So <laughs> yeah, well, and I love Gugu Mbatha-Ra, so she's amazing, and yeah, and I love him too. So yeah. This looks this looks cool. It'll be in theaters March 29th. So, um, speaking of Spider-Man: Far From Home, I'm saving best for last. Speaking of Spider-Man: Far From Home, we got a new trailer for that this week, or I guess it was the official trailer for it this week. Um, and yeah, Peter's going on a European <laughs> vacation. Field trip. National Lampoon and... presents Spider-Man's <laughs> European vacation. <laughs> 
I mean, I personally thought the Far From Home title meant he was going to be, like, out in the Me galaxy too. somewhere. So, I guess... But I guess Europe is far Clear, from New York. Clearly, so. everything that happened in Infinity War has been completely remedied by the end of Endgame. So... <laughs> well, I have some theories We're, on we're that all still, back, but, 100% uh, yeah. back to normal. <laughs> Good to I think the original four Avengers are going to die. But anyway, yeah. um, Jake <laughs> Hall is in this as Mysterio. Oh, is that who he's so... playing? I was wondering. He looks like a Spartan warrior, but okay. With bangs, right? That's I, I saw bangs. <laughs> yep, yep. He had bangs. <laughs> so that'll be out in July. I say I meh. I, yeah. This is bad of me to say, but The Last Spider-Man is probably the only Marvel movie I haven't seen yet up until this point. Oh, it was Dude. good, I, actually. I've I liked heard it a lot. good things, and it's nothing against the movie, but I just, for some reason, haven't been able to marshal up the excitement for it that it seems like it deserves. Uh, he's, he's fine. It looks fun. It looks witty. It's just, it's... I'll get to see it when I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was intrigued by the fact that Peter finally meets Nick Fury, and I didn't realize that that had never happened before. So, <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah, so that'll be out in July. Nine weeks after Endgame, which means that they had nine weeks of plenty of marketing time without giving yeah. anything away, and they didn't do that. So, what ups? Okay, so there was one other trailer this week that I know Lauren in particular is excited <laughs> to talk about. Oh, same. So same. <laughs> and I didn't watch it on the computer when it first popped up the other day, but I got to see it up on the big screen ahead of another movie I saw, and oh my gosh, sign me up. I can't wait. John Wick Chapter 3! Yeah. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, talk to us about your oh, love for John Wick. Oh, I just John love Wick. John Wick so much. I'm so excited. I don't even, like, so this this is just leading, it, it looks like it's picking up right where Chapter 2 left off, that he's on the run from everybody. <laughs> everybody <laughs> wants to kill John Wick. Like, if they didn't want to kill him before, they want to kill him now. And he's going to, like, fight all of the assassins, and, like, Angelica Houston is going to be there, and Halle Berry, and he's going to, like, ride a horse and have a katana, and, like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It just looks like so much fun. <laughs> and better treat that dog right. Like, that dog has been with him for uh, two and a half films now. He, he, that dog better be safe. Anything happens to the dog, yeah, I'm Yeah, I burned down the theater. Like, that dog better be safe. Well, if anything happens to that dog, you better look out whoever did it, because John Wick's he, coming after you for sure. He can't lose another dog, man. That's just not fair. Um, yeah, it no, looks he like... can't. Well, and this dog fights. Yeah, true. So. Uh, it looks like loads of fun. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Just uh, if they just do the same thing that they've done in the other, in the previous films, but more so, I'm fine with that. Like it, it just looks like loads of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what's so great about the John Wick movies is they really are just so much fun to watch and like, and they're super yeah. watchable. Like really violent action movies, usually for me, I'm just like, eh, whatever. But there's something just magical about John Wick and I think that that's mostly Keanu Reeves just I love watching him just be awesome yeah. and a badass and I will I will watch these forever if they keep making them 
Kim? I will be there in theaters. I I was very hesitant to get into, I think I said this last week or in the most anticipated, I was very hesitant to jump into the John Wick series initially, be, fear of the dog storyline and just everything that that yeah. entailed. But once I did, I was absolutely hooked. Um, I'm not, violence doesn't particularly get to me, but that there is just something so, like you said, watchable and something so likable really about those films. And it's probably Keanu Reeves, just everything he brings to that. But it seems like this one just took what they've done and again, elevated it another level, Uh, especially I watched it on a TV screen and it just looked so cool Uh, going right. Thinking immediately going to that, the horse chase on the Katana and just the, yeah, the fact that everybody wants to kill him now it's going to be another level of John Wick and I will be there for it in theaters. Oh yeah, for sure. Also, you cannot convince me that Hotel Artemis was not inspired by Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's, I truly thought it was a spin-off. It's shared universe. It's gotta be. It has to be. I mean, Artemis is a couple years in the future, but yeah, it's gotta be like, this is what that hotel became eventually. So that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. So, uh, John Wick will be in theaters May, like, 17th. Yeah, that's that's when. So, very cool. Excited. And apparently they are already planning on John Wick 4. Yay. So, that's great news. I'm very excited I want about a that. John Wick Atomic Blonde All right. crossover. That's what I need. Yes. <laughs> there we go. It's like Charlie Starr and Keanu Reeves punching each other for two hours. Just, like, hunting each other down. Like, yeah. And then teaming up and... Oh. It would be like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, Smith, but yeah, good. Exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we saw some stuff in the last couple weeks that we haven't really talked about much. And um, let's see. Lauren, why don't you start us out? What have you been okay, watching lately? Um, I have not seen... Uh, other than I've, I caught up on Aquaman, Mary Poppins, On the Basis of Sex, like those, those films. So I caught up on a bunch of the films that had come out that I hadn't had, had the opportunity to see. Um, so, but I have not seen any recent, recent releases. Uh, I have been catching up on some of the 2018 films that I missed. So I finally saw Leave No Trace, which I'm very angry that it is not being nominated for all the things because it's an amazing film. It's yep. so well acted, so well directed. Um, I kind of get it in the sense that it's not a flashy film. Uh, it isn't about, you know, these great feats of cinematography particularly, but it's beautiful at the same time. Um, it's, you know, the performances are very subdued, very quiet, but they're brilliant performances. And I, I just, I was in awe of that film. And, and uh, you know, even if it doesn't get any nominations at the end of the day, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, Deborah Granick does next. So I got to see that. I got to see Beautiful Boy, which uh, uh, just basically had me sitting there going like, man, Timothy Chalamet is the best looking drug addict in the world, essentially. Like, (laughs) since Ewan McGregor, I think, in Trainspotting. Like, you're just like, oh, he hits rock bottom so many times. And each time, just like, oh, his hair is perfectly tousled. He's like, oh, he's got some dark circles under his eyes, showing that he's very, you know, addicted to things. Um, But that that being said, even though these are very beautiful people, 
uh, it is a very good film, and I, I quite liked his performance. I love Steve Carell's performance, and um, and Mara Tierney, uh, who plays his stepmother, and but just the whole the cyclical nature of addiction, the cyclical nature of the relationships that people have with addicted people and struggling and trying to help them, but also knowing that at some level you can't help them and trying to come to terms with that. It's, it was a really well done film and, and uh, I, I just a beautiful, again, beautifully shot, beautifully acted. Uh, it, I, I really enjoyed it. And then finally last night I saw the documentary McQueen, which is about the fashion designer um, Alexander McQueen and that again was was an interesting film. It went a little bit too into the fashion industry for me because I did not understand some of the things that they were talking about in terms of the artistry that he used. Um, but a really fascinating documentary, and uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. And so, high, highly recommended if you're particularly if you're interested in the fashion industry and you're interested in Alexander McQueen and in kind of the artistry that he brought to that. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about? Not at the moment. Okay. Kim, what have you been watching lately? I have been staying pretty close to home, kind of not, I haven't caught on any of the new, new, new releases yet. A lot of, humorously, a lot of ghost hunting shows Uh being watched in the Pierce household right now. Um that's and I'm talking the vintage ghost hunting shows. I'm talking early seasons of Ghost Hunters, Most Haunted. If anybody remembers that <laughs> gloriousness from Travel, Ch- you know, the British television series from it was on Travel Channel back probably ten years ago. I w- found reruns of that on Amazon Prime and just loving every minute of that. So, um. We've been Ghost Hunters has reminded me how much of a Grant Wilson fangirl I was I back in the, back in those days. I was so, I he's adorable and <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those shows absolutely shamelessly shamelessly. Um, My favorite one was the, the one where they were at that like converted house as like a museum, and one mm-hmm. of the guys I think it was Tango went up into the attic. And on the voice recorder, yeah. they had this, like, really creepy voice go, get away, or something like that. It was, like, so creepy. <laughs> so fun. I love that show. We, we just watched one. I think they're in San Francisco, and there's a voice recorder. And somebody goes, there's a voice that goes, leave us alone. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh no. Like, okay, well, you got it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I love that show, too. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Such, 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 such a fun show. But that's really been, um, I should be getting back into screenings here within the next couple of weeks. I think I'm just taking a little bit more time to enjoy, enjoy myself. Um, well, I finished over the break. I finished, uh, the four available seasons of a show that everyone should be watching and not enough people are. And that is Schitt's Creek. Yes. That show is so damn yes, funny. Oh I my was, gosh. I just thought of that. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my gosh. I think that's another one that's been on the list for years. Watch it, Kim. It's so great. What I love about yeah. it is that, you know, most sitcoms, they settle into like, okay, so we've got this family and this is the world that they live in. And we're just going to come up with these situations that relate to that. What I love, Eugene Levy and his son, Daniel Levy, they created the show and they do, they're the head writers and they're the showrunners too. And 
they have created this family that grows. Like the characters all actually experience growth and change through the seasons. And I love that. And it makes it just such an interesting comedy to watch because of it, which you don't normally see people progressing in those types of situations. Lauren, you watch yeah, it too? Yeah, I've, I haven't seen the whole show yet. Um, I've, I've up to like, I'm nearing the end of season two. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. I, I, I totally agree with you. I love them. And I particularly, I love all of them, but I particularly love Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara, <laughs> who I've always loved, like always, but she, uh. she's just this combination of like completely out to lunch on the one hand and on the other hand, like actually very intelligent and canny and then uh-huh. like crazy. And I, I'm just like, I don't even, I don't know what to expect from this character. Like, I don't know how <laughs> she's going to react to things. Some of the shit that she says, I'm just like, what is happening? I don't know why I love this so much, yeah. but I love this. Yeah, it's a great show. Oh, and it gets even, it gets even better. The stuff that you haven't gotten to yet, like, oh my gosh, you have to react <laughs> to it. Like, as you have to tweet about it as you watch it because it's so great. And season four is like there's a daughter and um and a son it's alexis and david and they're grown they're adults basically okay sorry people don't know what this show is the premise is that it's this this family eugene levy and Catherine o'hara play this couple they have two adult children which are daniel levi and uh or levy and i can't think of who plays alexis but um anyway the Four of them, basically they lose all their money because Eugene Levy's character, John, his partner was like a Bernie Madoff type. And so they lost everything they have. Like the people, the government comes and takes literally everything they own. And except for all of Catherine O'Hara's wigs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And David's wardrobe. But they have nowhere... Right. Yes. Yes. But they have nowhere to go. And then they remember that as a joke for like his 16th birthday, John bought David a town called Schitt's Creek. (laughs) And so with nowhere left to go, they end up just moving there and they have to live in this crappy motel. And these are like New York, really wealthy people that are used to the high life, and now they're living in this motel in this town in the middle of nowhere called Schitt's Creek, and trying to basically rebuild their life. And it is just genius. It's so great. I love it so much, and it gets better all the time. And I haven't gotten to watch season five because I lost my cable access. But season five started this week, and I'm just so excited for it. So, yeah, it, yeah, it really... Everybody watched Shit's Creek. It really is <laughs> a, a fun show. And I, I've seen a number of people talking about the, the fact that it's actually a very kind show. Um, there's a yeah. lot of the humor, even though, you know, there's, there's a good bit of humor at the expense of the people in the town. There's a good bit of humor at the expense of the Roses because they're, they're so wealthy and so out of their depth. Um, they they really just don't know how to how to deal with things like the the episode that I watched the other the other day was was um, John trying to buy raw milk um, so that he could try to to sell raw milk to people which is illegal and he tells his daughter uh-huh. you know to to get him twelve pints and she it she gets him twelve things which are the massive cans of milk that they have in dairies. And it costs him like $400, basically. And he's standing there going like, I did not say things. I said pints, the little bottles. And she's like, why are you yelling at me? 
And it's just really funny. So, so there's all there's humor that's like that. Also, uh, what's his name? Chris Elliott, who plays yes. Roland Shit, the the mayor of the town. Just like everybody within the town, everyone is very very funny, and and just it's such a joy to watch. But it's a very nice and friendly show, and you you really love these people. You're like, I love I love all of them. I don't know why exactly. Oh my gosh, and and Stevie is yeah. so great, like. She's just, she's the girl that runs the motel, and she's very, like, don't come near me, and, um, but she's got this heart, too, and, oh, she's great. Oh, have you met Ted yet, the veterinarian? Yeah. 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 Okay. I couldn't remember when he comes along. Oh, my gosh, I love Ted. <laughs> so, anyway, it's such a good show, and everybody needs to yeah. watch it. Kim, watch it. Before all the screenings start up again, just start watching it. It's great. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah, I will add it. <laughs> um, let's see. Some other stuff I watched. So speaking of Keanu Reeves, like he was in a movie that's not good called Replicas, which came out last week. And that's the kind of movie that is so bad that it would be really fun to do midnight screenings of it where people like yell stuff at the screen and <laughs> turn it into an event. It's it's like so good. Yeah, it's movie. like one of the best terrible movies in Keanu Reeves' entire When I thought Aquaman was going to be. Like, it's so <laughs> bad. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I, I knew it was going to be a bad movie, but I didn't expect it to be such a fun bad movie. <laughs> so, um, I don't recommend anybody pay money to see it in theaters, but when it comes out on streaming or whatever, pick it up and check it out. Because it's, it's actually kind of impressive how terrible it is. So, uh, so there's that one. Definitely a, a first week of January release. And then this week I saw Glass, and a lot of people hate it and think it's terrible. I do not hate it. In fact, I actually quite enjoyed it. And it felt like exactly the type of third film in a superhero trilogy that M. Night Shyamalan would make. And a lot of people don't love M. Night Shyamalan. What I really love about his films is that they're never about what you think they're going to be about. And and I know people get that, but I think a lot of people go into it and they don't like the result. I like the result. And um, this, I, I thought the performances in Glass were great. Um, my one thing is I would like to have seen a little bit more from Samuel L. Jackson. He spends a lot of it, a lot of the, at least the first, like, two-thirds of the movie under heavy sedation, so he doesn't get a lot of, he does still get moments, but not as many as I would like, because that character was just so great and unbreakable, and so I would like to have seen, seen more from him, but, um, but I really, I really liked the story, and, um, you know, I spent a good deal of the movie just thinking, like, where is this going? Because I know it's not headed where I think, where it seems like it would be. And yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, it was fun to see the kid that played Joseph in Unbreakable, um, Bruce Willis's son. He's back in this. And it was fun to see him all grown up. And I was just like, he looks exactly the same, just older. It's funny. Um, but he's pretty good. Anya Taylor-Joy is really, she's just such a talented actress. And she is one of those that can convey so much emotion with 
without ex- without saying anything. Like so much of her nonverbal expressions are so great, and I really like her. And James McAvoy, he actually what I love is, um, because you know there's this whole thing. He's got 23, 24 personalities in this brain and in Split you got to see a few of them but in this one you get to see a few more and just watching him seamlessly go from one to another that are such completely different personalities it's like really fun to watch him do that and it's 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 kind of dizzying. It reminds me of a much more serious version of watching the way that Robin Williams would do that when he would just like launch into a whole bunch of different impressions and just do them like one right after the other and just no transitions, just change. And obviously this is not like for comedic effect, but well, most of it, but um, it, it, I've never seen anybody besides Robin Williams be able to do that until watching James McAvoy as this character. So um, it was pretty impressive. I know a lot of people that's good to hear. I love yeah. James McAvoy. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. I know a lot of people aren't going to like this movie. I completely understand why they're not going to like this movie. And I'm not even going to try to convince anybody that doesn't like it that it's good. I just, I know for me, this was good. This is exactly what, it's not what I was expecting. It's never what I'm expecting. But it it was exactly the kind of thing, like, as I watched it, I went, yeah. This is M. Night Shyamalan completing his trilogy. And I... I enjoyed it. It works for me. So there you go. Um, all right. Anything else? No. I think that's it. Okay. Well, I think that's going to finish out this episode then. Cool. So I will be gone the next the next week, possibly the next two weeks. I'm headed to Sundance. Where are you guys? What are you guys going to be up to? Uh, more of the same here. I am skipping Sundance this year stupid money you need money to do that kind of stuff and that just didn't happen um so lots of uh writing and holds trying doing our best to hold down the fort while you're uh off doing your yeah. thing you're off just letting <laughs> it up in park city utah i was going to say I mean, that i, but... I said it, for it up in park city so <laughs> <laughs> you never know army <laughs> hammer might be there again yeah, I'm still trying to work out a screening of his movie Wounds, so hopefully I can make that happen. I did find when the press screening is, and I think it'll fit into my schedule. So yeah. we, we we expect a full report. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, all right, so that's gonna wrap things up. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, of course you can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, which you know because you found us. So keep listening that way. <laughs> Uh, tell your friends. I'm sorry, that was a great description. <laughs> just like you, you, you're listening, so keep on doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I always think it's funny when it's like, yeah. So we're on all these places, which you know because <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, listening on at least one you of found them. Found us already. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Citizen Dame. If you want to drop us an email, we love those. CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. Go to our official website, CitizenDamePod.com, for all the latest. We have our Citizen Dame Fives, Thirst Traps, Feminist Fridays, all kinds of great stuff, and more coming at you. 
We also have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash citizen dame. It's the only way we will allow you to patronize us. And you can get all kinds of bonus content. We have, um, I promise, promise, promise the Suicide Squad commentary is coming soon. I'm going to try to get it done before I go to Sundance. But I do have a lot of downtime in Sundance, so I might do it next week while I'm gone. We'll see. Uh, but it's coming, I promise. We already recorded it. I just, it's a pain to edit together. Um, you can also check out our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame, where we have all kinds of fun t-shirts and keychains and mugs and anything you can think of. And if you have special requests, let us know. Like we love to put our quotes on t-shirts. So if you want one, you just let us know and we'll make it happen. And you can also follow us on Twitter at citizen dame pod. And our individual Twitters, Kristen is at journeys underscore film. Lauren, where are you? I am at LH Business. Kim? At KPierce624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. And if you start following me on Wednesday, you'll find all my adventures to Park City and back. So that's going to close out the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. In the lee of a picturesque ridge lies a small, unpretentious winery, one that pampers its fruit like its own babies. Hi, I'm Moira Rose, and if you love fruit wine as much as I do, then you'll appreciate the craftsmanship and quality of a local vintner who brings the muskmelon goodness to his oak chardonnay and the dazzling peach crabat pull to his Riesling Rioja. Come taste the difference good fruit can make in your wine. You'll remember the experience, and you'll remember the name, Herb Erflinger. Bert Herngeit. Irv Herblinger. Bing Livehanger. Livelink. Bert Herkern. <laughs> <laughs>